Lord God, we come into this place today recognizing the ways in which we don't always abide in your peace. We can be distracted. We can be pulled by fear. We can be broken down by anxiety and uncertainty, Lord. But we ask God, we ask in this place and today, Lord, that we would experience your peace, that we would understand your vision of peace, Lord God, and that we would put on your peace today, Lord God. Lord, when we are overcome in the storm, overcome in the storms of fear, of worrying, of doubt, of division, Lord, we ask for your peace. Your peace that brings us into your embrace, that calms us, that soothes us, and ultimately your peace, Lord, that speaks truth over us. Lord, so I ask that as my brothers and sisters, as we gather here this morning, Lord, if they are in a season of a storm, a season where they are feeling just the chaos around them, Lord God, that they would experience your peace this morning. Your peace that, oh God, your peace that restores us, that gives us life, that again, it speaks the truth of who we are as your sons and your daughters, Lord God. So Lord, we pray against any lies. We pray against all anxieties and fears. Lord, we pray against all divisions that divide us, Lord God, because you are calling us to be your light of peace. And thank God that your son has broken into this world and has showed us the way toward peace, Lord God. So, God, as we open up your word this morning, Lord, may we just see your peace in a fresh and new way this morning. May we see your intention of how we are a continuation, delivers of that peace in our world and your creation, Lord God. So be with us today. Nourish peace in our lives and in our community. God, we pray that you would be glorified, that you would be honored this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Always good to be with you this morning. My name is Pastor Rose. I serve as associate pastor here at Sanctuary in the area of formation and just grateful in this Advent season that we get to be together. We are at Sanctuary, an urban, multi-ethnic, multi-generational community of faith, as Pastor Edron shared, and we are called to worship and reflect Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Amen. That's why we are here, and that is our purpose in the world. So if you are a new guest here at Sanctuary, I want to welcome you again. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. I really invite you and pray that you will join us for Starting Point after service today as we get to know you and you get to know us a little bit better.
Well, this morning, as you can see from the beautiful decorations around us, as we lit the Advent candle today, that we are in the Christmas season. And here at Sanctuary and many Christian churches and cities and countries around the world, this Christmas time season before Christmas Day on December 25th, again, is called Advent. And while for many Christians of many generations who have observed Advent, you know this season well. But for some of us, maybe even many of us, this is a new practice. This is a new tradition. And as Pastor Edron shared last week, the Advent season is this time of waiting. It's this longing for Jesus' arrival as we celebrate when he was born, but also as we wait for his second coming. So in this season, we remember what Jesus fulfills and is coming long ago, as well as the fulfillment and the restoration of all things that will happen when he comes again. And so Advent is about celebrating the ways in which Jesus comes into our world, the ways in which Jesus transforms us right where we are, the ways in which Jesus transforms our city, our community, and even our very block. So this Advent series, uh, sermon uh, series right now is called Christmas on the Block. And Pastor Edrin uh, and leading our teaching team really wanted us to use this theme to particularize and uplift the ways in which Jesus' coming affects us here at Sanctuary. How Jesus' coming affects our neighborhood. And what Jesus' coming means to a vibrant, beautiful community like North Minneapolis. And the promise Jesus gives to all of us and all people here, especially at the intersection of West Broadway and Lindale Avenue. Now in short, Christmas on the Block is a chance to acknowledge how Jesus transforms us here in North Minneapolis. So each Sunday we'll be following the traditional Advent themes and we'll add some local flavor and context to it. And so last week, Pastor Edrin preached about hope on the block. Today, we are going to look at how Jesus brings peace on the block. Next week, Tara will be sharing about joy on the block. And then December 22nd, Pastor Edrin will come again. He will preach about love on the block. And then all of this culminates together as we meet on December 24th for our candlelight service on Christmas Eve as we celebrate Jesus and Christmas on the block. So today we are celebrating the coming of peace on the block. And to guide us in this time together, our passage this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open that up to the New Testament of Luke chapter 1, and we'll also have the verses on the screen above me. So this is Zechariah speaking, and he is sharing a prophecy from the Lord. And it says this, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown his mercy, promised to our ancestors, and has remembered his holy covenant." 
the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to the people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Our passage today is very rich in its meaning and significance, both for then, for Zechariah, to proclaim these words in the context of his day, but also for us today in North Minneapolis. In these verses, and the verses before our passage, we are introduced to a man, a priest named Zechariah, and we're also introduced to his wife, Elizabeth. And these are, uh, this is a couple who is absolutely committed to following God. Now, they were older and they had no children. And one day, Zechariah, as a priest, he was chosen to go into the sanctuary of the Lord. And he was offering incense there. And then when he went in, he saw an angel of the Lord standing at the right-hand side of the altar. And Zechariah, seeing this, was overcome with fear and panic. And the angel spoke words of peace and comfort to him and also shared some very surprising news. That his wife, Elizabeth, would become pregnant, that she would have a son and that he would be called John. Now this son uh, was not only a surprise to the couple, but also reason of great joy. Joy both for the older parents as well as for many, many people. Because the angels share that this child, John, would grow, that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that he would proclaim the truth of God, and that many would turn in belief and worship of the one true God. Now this child's purpose would be to prepare the coming way for the Messiah, And at this, Zechariah questioned the angel, and and because of the doubt that he had, the angel silenced him until the baby was born. So Zechariah waited. Now I need to make one interjecting observation here, and that's the fact of Zechariah's silence. In Zechariah's case, we've probably read his silence many times and maybe not given much thought to it. But if it was Elizabeth, his wife, who had been silenced, then Christians who have placed limitations on women's role in in God's kingdom would no doubt had a heyday over this. No doubt that they would have used this verse as a blanket statement about the denial of all women's voices preaching the good news. But we don't do that with men, even though Zechariah was silenced by God. Now I share this, because I think this is a strategy of the dominant culture. The strategy is to always assume, to broadly stereotype, to place conditions on a minority group while also individualizing the experience, behaviors, and actions of the dominant group. And this is important for us today because we're talking about peace after all. Because we'll see in our passage today that God's peace is a peace that brings justice and restoration. 
And if we want to be agents of that same peace and justice, we need to understand the ways in which we perpetuate brokenness, limitations, and injustice that narrows God's, the kingdom of God's pursuit of a just, peaceful, and a restored creation. So back to our story. <laughs> so all of these wonderful things did come to pass that the angel proclaimed. Elizabeth did give birth to the son called him John, and in that moment, Zechariah was given back his speech. And the first words out of his mouth were a praise to God, a praise of the God of his heart, a prophecy for the people, which is our verse today, our passage today. So as we look at our passage today, Zechariah's prophecy, I want to suggest three uh, words that point us to um, truth this morning that are incredibly transformative, both for the people um, in Zechariah's time as well as for us on the block here in North Minneapolis. Now this assured truth from this prophecy is that Jesus brings transformation to the block as the waymaker of peace, the miracle worker of restoration, and the promise keeper of salvation. Amen, hallelujah, amen. But before we jump into these three um, truths today, I want us to first consider Pastor Edron's framing, his framing words last week as he shared that Advent is both a, a remembering and an anticipation. At Advent, we simultaneously remember how Jesus came into the world, turned it upside down, and provided a way forward through reconciliation with God as he died on the cross. And we also anticipate. We anticipate the reality that the world is still in need of restoration. Creation still longs for the second coming of Jesus when ultimate peace, justice, and God's reign will come. So in considering Advent at this time to remember and anticipate, I started to wonder, what might, it, what might the opposite of these two be? Meaning, how do we know if we're actually remembering and anticipating? What might it look like if we didn't do those things in this season? And I ask those questions because I think it will help us understand more fully how we approach this Advent season, this season again to both remember and anticipate. Well, the first one is easy. <laughs> the opposite of remembering is forgetting, of course. But I don't mean the kind of forgetting like when we forget to pick up the mil milk and eggs on the way home from work or if we have a scheduled important meeting that we miss. It's a deeper, weightier sort of forgetfulness. And we can begin to understand this forgetting in the first verse of our passage when Zechariah says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God in Israel. This is Zechariah's way of pointing the people backward to jog their memory, to spark a recollection of the long-awaited covenant between God and God's people. This call, this prophecy is a call to remember. This prophecy also points us back to wake up the collective memory of God's people when Zechariah says in verses 69 through 71, he has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. 
God was asking the people to recall a time when King David was on the throne. And yet God is also telling them that an even better future awaits. This messianic future when the people would be saved both from their, the corrupt empire that they were being oppressed under as well as the spiritual salvation of their souls. Zechariah's words are both a call to recall what was and the life that is to come under the reign of God. We are called to a holy remembering, a remembrance that centers our devotion on God. Now, I think it's easier to understand what the opposite of of remembering is than it is to anticipate. What might be opposite of anticipating? Well, I believe that when we fail to anticipate, we doubt, we worry, we grow frightened, we become apprehensive, and even dismiss and deny something that we once knew to be true. So we see in our passage a call of anticipation instead of apprehension. Verses 72 through 75 says, He has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors. He has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he once swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And later in verses 78 through 79, by the tender mercy of our God, The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. These verses encompass anticipation. We can with assurance expect these things will be fulfilled when Jesus comes again, just as they were fulfilled when Jesus was born into our world. So in looking at our passage today, at the intersection of both remembering and anticipation, the Advent promise of peace is illuminated for us today. When we do both, we see what peace is. When we remember the promises of God and anticipate God's restoration to come, we find God's true, lasting, and perfect peace. Peace that changes things. Peace that alleviates suffering, peace that heals, peace that brings real life change to our block. So our first word of truth today is Jesus brings transformation to the block as a way maker of peace. So when I say that Jesus is the way maker of peace, an important question for us is what does that mean? What kind of peace does Jesus give way for? In our passage today, it ends by stating that God will give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, and will guide our feet into the way of peace. Sanctuary, I want to suggest today that to understand peace, we must first understand what shalom meant to the Israelites, what the backdrop of Pax Romana meant to Zechariah, and what Howard Thurman's words of comfort to the people with their backs up against the wall means for us here on West Broadway in Lindale. So first, shalom. Our passage today echoes and fulfills much of the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 42. Now chapter 42 is talking about God's servant who will bring forth justice to the nations. But he does so in kind of a surprising sort of way. 
He does so both with gentleness and with strength. Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 4 says, Here is my servant who I am uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not go row faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. This passage in Isaiah is very clear. The pathway of Jesus makes it a pathway of justice. In fact, just in those few verses, justice is mentioned three times. And the characteristics of embodying that justice are both a gentleness and a strength. Now, the juxtaposing combination of such virtues, therefore, is, is, is a way of, of seeing how, what true restoration is, what true justice is, what true peace is. So the shalom of Isaiah 42 is this kind of peace, this peace purpose for justice that's both gentle and strong. Second, if we pair that with the context of Zechariah's world, when we can see an even greater juxtaposition, both between the Roman Empire's view of peace and the kingdom of God's peace. Now, during Zechariah's life, he was well aware of peace. He knew peace, but, because, but not necessarily because uh, he experienced God's true peace. But instead, he was living as a citizen in the Roman Empire, and he knew well Caesar's definition of peace. You see, during Zechariah's lifetime, he was living against the backdrop of Emperor Caesar Augustus's reign of Pax Romana. Now, Pax Romana was a version of peace that was perpetuated by the Roman Empire that saw that peace could come, but only through intimidation, through violence, through force, and through restitution. This kind of peace is the peace of the Roman Empire. This is the kind of peace of Caesar, not the kingdom of God as Jesus governs. Jesus, as a waymaker of peace, ushers in the peace that Isaiah 42 describes. A peace that is both gentle and strong for the purpose of restoring God's justice and uplifting the outcast. Then third, in understanding what Jesus' peace means for us in our neighborhood, we must use Howard Thurman's words in his book, Jesus for the Disinherited. We must use it as a conversation partner with Zechariah's prophecy because to do so is to excavate our passage's meaning for us today, here. Now in 1939, Howard Thurman preached at Marsh Chapel at Boston University School of Theology. And he preached a sermon entitled, Good News for the Underprivileged. Now this sermon was the basis of his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, it was a book that he wrote later in 1949 during Jim Crow laws of racist discrimination and segregation. And in the very first paragraph of the very first chapter, he lamented in many ways how the teachings and the interpretations of Jesus' life so rarely deal 
with what Jesus' mission actually was, which is to bring relief, to bring empathy, to bring peace to those, he said, who stand at a moment in human history with their backs up against the wall. Thurman's words are striking when he states, too often the price exacted by society for security and respectability is that the Christian movement in its formal expression must be on the side of the strong instead of the weak. This is a matter of tremendous significance for it reveals to what extent a religion that was born of a people acquainted with persecution and suffering has now become the cornerstone of a civilization and of nations whose very position in modern life has too often been secured by a ruthless use of power applied to weak and defenseless peoples. Wow. Howard Thurman is really illuminating for us just how far the dominant culture has gone from Jesus' actual mission, his mission of peace. And Thurman is challenging us to understand intimately the context in which Jesus lived, what his words meant to the disinherited as Jesus himself was living in the Roman Empire, and to really start to peel away the layers of our version of Christianity today, how the dominant culture has perpetuated ways in which we are often unauthentic to the experience and the call of Jesus. Simply put, Jesus was a Jew. He was poor. He was a member of a minority group surrounded by this larger, dominant, and controlling group. And his mission was to bring hope, healing, and justice to people just like him. Jesus doesn't bring a peace that he doesn't understand. He makes way for a peace even for himself and his family, his community, who are marginalized in their society. So Jesus ushered in God's shalom, not Caesar's Pax Romana. So it's necessary to ask, are we living in the way of the ultimate prince of peace? Or are we caught in the dominant culture that divides, diminishes, and destroys? Do we cling to a passive peace that avoids or a passionate peace that embraces? In our neighborhood, do we have a mindset that sees the full dignity of our neighbors, which builds bridges of peace? Or does the media's dominant slandering of North Minneapolis cause us to stereotype our neighbors and diminish their humanity? These are vital questions if we want to bring about peace. Jesus' peace is the good news to our city. It is the good news to our city because the gospel message of peace proclaims a world where no one will suffer at the hands of a fake peace like Caesar's, that no one will be oppressed, no one will be diminished. Caesar's peace and justice is retributive. Jesus' peace and justice is restorative. And that is what peace is. It restores us and our soul and our physical selves, our neighborhood. And Jesus makes a way for God's true peace to come. And peace in God's kingdom is a peace that at its core centers restoration. Which leads to our second truth today. 
which is Jesus brings transformation to the block as the miracle worker of restoration. Now the promise of hope from last Sunday's sermon felt impossible to God's people in the context of Luke 1. Life seemed so hopeless that that to have hope that peace would come felt like it could only be possible by a miracle. But miracles are not beyond the Lord, amen? And in fact, throughout Luke 1, we can see so many miracles happening. And often when we read this story year after year, sometimes we normalize these miracles. But let's not forget the miracle that Mary a virgin woman delivered a child through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that was just a miracle that just, uh, that was just the beginning. <laughs> At the heart of Jesus' life and ministry, it was these reversals that brought restoration. And Zechariah's words echoing this restorative reversal. And what Zechariah is doing again is he's reminding the people of the suffering that was happening in Isaiah, suffering that they were experiencing in their context, the injustice, the poverty, the many, many needs that went unmet. And God's words through Zechariah made it very clear that Jesus the Messiah will come and will do miraculous work of restoring all things. Where there is poverty, Jesus satisfies all needs. Where there is oppression by the powerful, Jesus restores the order between humans. Where there is injustice, Jesus brings God's perfect justice. Where there is pain, brokenness, suffering, loneliness, hunger, and affliction, Jesus shows to be the true miracle worker of restoration. Amen. In short, Jesus alleviates the suffering of the marginalized. Where there is tangible material need, Jesus provides. Now, sometimes providing tangible restoration by um, clothing them, uh, loving them, feeding them, affirming them in their worth and their dignity, while other times performing these miraculous um, healings that heal and restore people. And Jesus made it clear To be disciples in the kingdom work is to work toward the restoration of creation. And that happens in many ways, tangibly feeding the poor, clothing the naked, freeing the imprisoned, pursuing longer lasting restoration by seeking justice and naming sins of like greed and and, um, power that crushes communities. And still believing in the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit and anticipating that signs, miracles, and wonders are still happening and are still possible. Amen. And as a Northside church, Jesus as the miracle worker of restoration, church, that should cause us to be overwhelmed with excitement and not overwhelmed and weary, expectant, anticipating that God is still working miracles of deliverance, God is still working miracles of healing. God is still doing the work of transformation. And to call Jesus a savior is to claim that where there is bondage, Jesus promises deliverance. Jesus promises deliverance. And that's our final truth today. It's that Jesus, 
in his coming brings transformation on the block as the promise keeper of salvation. The purposes of John's birth in verses 76 through 77 says, And you, child, which is John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. John the Baptist's purpose was to preach the good news, to invite people to repent, to turn from their sins, and instead choose the path of life. And God makes it clear through Zechariah's words that salvation would be given to the people, forgiveness is available, and reconciliation with God is now fulfilled and available through Jesus. As Zechariah's words remind us of God's promises to God's people of this deliverance and restoration, we see that God did not forget his covenant, that God is faithful to the promise of salvation, that Jesus shows us that God is the promise keeper of salvation, that through Jesus, reconciliation is available and offered. Amen. Good news. That should be reasons for us to shout for joy today at this promise that we have, that we hold on to. The forgiveness of sins for us as Christians is reason for joy. Celebration of life eternal that we'll have with God one day. It's also a reason, church, to live differently now. As people saved by Jesus, we are to be like the candles that we lit during Advent. These candles that are shining light and guiding the way of peace into the world. Even when darkness can overshadow, when violence can overcome, when the unknown clouds us with doubt, the new life we have in Jesus is the same promise of new life that we share in our neighborhood. Because if salvation in Jesus has changed us, then as saved ones, we ought to go out into the world to change the world. Our passage reminds us that Jesus is the promise keeper of salvation. And as saved sons and daughters, we're to go into the world with the truth of this new life in Jesus, the promise of eternal life. But I know it can be hard. I know that we can grow discouraged and dismayed, weary, tired. It can be easy to grow and our tiredness to give testimony, maybe even be timid, to give a testimony of the hope that we have, the peace that we found in Jesus. So this, uh, this morning, church, I want to invite you to, I want to share a practice with you that I think, at least for me, has helped me go into the world fully with the light of Christ. This past week, our staff had a, an all-day retreat, and during that time, I was able to lead our staff in what's called a breath prayer. And a breath prayer is very simple. It's simply an exercise where we really can live into and embody Paul's encouragement for, um, to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians. And it's helped me to remind myself that Jesus, the light of the world, is with me in everything I do. And especially as a mother, <laughs> it is so helpful to have these breath prayers. When Look, I can't close the door and have this like 30-minute alone time. I gotta bring that breath prayer with me. 
So if you're like me, and busyness is real in life, or maybe you're like me and have anxiety, or maybe you're like all of us and we just need concentrated times and space to stop the swirling, to come back to reality, and to remind ourselves of the truth of Jesus. So this breath prayer, it's, 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 again, it's very easy. It's something Christians have practiced for generations. Um, and you can see on the screen, we'll put them up in just a moment. I want to invite you to take a picture. We're going to list all of those here. Take a picture of this because we'll practice some of it. I'll show you an example, but I want to encourage you to try this this week. As we literally try to embody peace, Jesus' peace in our everyday life. And again, a breath prayer is very simple. You choose a short scripture, a word of truth, some sort of encouragement, and you simply take the first portion, and as you breathe in, you recite it, and as you breathe out, you recite the second portion. So for example, breathing in, way maker of peace, breathing out. Calm my fears and worries. Waymaker of peace. Calm my fears and worries. Miracle worker of restoration. Bring healing to the brokenness. Miracle worker of restoration. Bring healing to the brokenness. Promise keeper of salvation, assure me of your embrace. Promise keeper of salvation, assure me of your embrace. I hope, church, that this week as we strive to really embody the peace of Christ, that these words of truth might guide you to a more peaceful place, a more truthful place, because we need it. But I pray that you don't just keep it to yourself. I pray that from that place of peace that you would go into your family, to your work, to your community, to this block, and share that peace. In just a moment, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. As they come, I know that we all come this morning in need. Often clouded by the swirling, by the chaos around us, and not seeing clearly what God sees in us. Not seeing clearly how God sees creation. And so I want to invite you to come. Come for prayer. Come for encouragement. Come for an embrace. Just come if you need to cry. Our prayer team will be here to meet you in your time of need. And also, if you come and you don't know Jesus yet, you don't know this waymaker, this miracle worker, this promise keeper, then you are invited this morning to come into this life-changing relationship. And our prayer team will invite you, will walk you through that, and will rejoice because you are welcome in God's kingdom. 
So if you're here today and you're anxious and unsure, if you're afraid and you're agitated and distressed, then come to the way maker of peace. If you're here today and you're crushed by the brokenness of the world, if you're in need of the great physician longing for healing and deliverance, then come to the miracle worker of restoration. And if you're here today unsure of God's love for you, if you are questioning your worth, if you're wondering, does eternity have a place for me? Then come to the promise keeper of salvation. Church, would you stand with me as we pray before we sing? Lord God, God, we declare this truth about you, that you are the way maker, you are the miracle worker, and you are, Lord God, a promise keeper. God, we can be assured today of your love. We can be assured today of your goodness and faithfulness. We can be assured today that, that your promise, your purposes will be made right, will, become, will come to pass, Lord God. So God, as we all come into this place, I know that we bring fears and worries. We bring a weightiness, a heaviness, we bring conflict and, and uncertainty. God, I pray in whatever we bring this morning that we would meet the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper who loves us, embraces us, and calls us your son, your daughter. So we give you ourselves, Lord God. Help us, as you are the light of the world, Lord God, help us to shine and spread that light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.